Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. Dilution, friend or foe? That's the meat and bones of today's special techniques episode. We're all familiar with watered down, usually shaken martinis, or weak Negronis with half-melted, crappy ice cubes floating in them. But on the other hand, sip a cocktail that is balanced and chilled down to the correct temperature, but without sufficient dilution, and it just tastes wrong. There is a sweet spot in the middle there, something I picture in my mind as being like the bite point of a clutch when you're driving a manual car, or as many of you folks listening today like to say, driving stick. At the wheel today and teaching us how to get to that point every time is Joey Smith, bar director of New York's Shazu and an alum of the Nomad, 11 Madison Park and Booker and Dax. Safe to say that the only thing not diluted in today's cocktail college is the quality content, which is brought to you by none other than the Vine Pair Podcast Network. Is this so? This is feeling good, feeling comfortable. Yeah, feeling ready to kick off. Feeling ready. I'm. I'm very excited. Me too. I'm super excited for this. So let's dive in. Okay. It's another techniques episode here at Cocktail College. Got Joey Smith in the house. Joey, how's it going? It's going very, very well. Um, very excited to talk about this topic with you today because it's something I think about. That topic is dilution. Yes. How much are you thinking about dilution as a bartender? All. All the time, it's mm-hmm. it's the final thing. It can make or break drinks. I think it's, you know, it's the most. It's one of the most important ingredients in a cocktail. I think is the the water element, the ice element. It can it can change everything. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I'm very excited to talk about this is because I am a Scotsman, so I feel <laughs> like I have a genetic disposition against adding water to <laughs> hard alcohol. So. Hoping you can change my mind today. Of course, I do enjoy that in cocktails, but hoping you can maybe put some of my fears to bed because it is one of those things that I'm thinking about when I'm watching a bartender make a cocktail and I'm like, is there enough ice in there? What's, you know, is Mm -hmm. the ice good enough? Have I left my own martini on the side for too long as I'm going to get a glass or something? So Mm -hmm. we're going to run through it all today. First of all, though, natural point to kick off. What is the main reason? that we're diluting cocktails? That is a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons to dilute a cocktail. I'd say the most obvious is to make it more palatable, to make it easier to drink, right? If you're having food or um, you just want to have more than, you know, a drink an hour, maybe. Like, yeah. um, you can't be just drinking hard alcohol all the time. Um, I was listening, actually, to one of your past episodes with uh, Ivy. It was an amazing episode. Um, but she said something along the lines of, you know, cocktails are really a gateway to just drinking neat spirits. Like a lot of times, you know, cocktails are how people get into just drinking neat spirits. But to get there, you have to, you know, lower the octane a little bit with yeah. some water. Um, but even even a, a couple of Scotsmen have told me, you know, you have to add a little bit of water to this is very much what true. they call, I think, free the serpent or something like that <laughs> is, the, is the phrase. Um, it can really open things up, you know, things like aromatic elements, um, esters, um, a lot of those smells and flavors that we love and different spirits. Um, you can't really get them in their 
pure spirit form. You add a little water and it, they change their solubility and it really kind of opens up spirits. So mm -hmm. um, dilution is incredibly important to get the full experience of a, a cocktail or a spirit, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think, quick sidebar here, but that is something that I've come across before. I was chatting with a, a, a whiskey distiller up in Canada and they were talking about during technical analysis, not for the palate, but for the aromatic profile, they will sometimes dilute by as much as 50%. So they are level half the proof of the whiskey just to bring out all of the aromas, which again is kind of the same as this conversation we're having today because it seems a little counterintuitive, but I think you've explained there exactly why we're doing this. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember when I started, I would say, you know, 50% dilution for cocktails. People would lose their minds. Like, that's way too much water. You're ripping people off and stuff. But if you do the math, if you make, you know, a Manhattan that's, you know, three ounces and you stir it to completion and then you pour it out, then it's going to be about four and a half ounces. That's a 50% increase in, mm -hmm. in volume, which is, you know, it's 30% dilution at the end, but it's a 50% increase, which is mm -hmm. a good Manhattan. It's a lot. And also, by the way, like, the same amount of booze went into that cocktail, mm -hmm. right? Like you're not ripping anyone off. You're no. not. You're not serving them less less liquor. Sure. And of course, like, people drink to you know feel the effects of alcohol, but you also drink to enjoy a cocktail over a period of time. And mm -hmm. the longer you can extend that without you know having to take a nap is probably a good thing. I'd yeah. say. <laughs> and I think, yeah, definitely. I think the worry, and this is and this is what we're we're, we're going to master today. But the worry is, we've all had that. I always point to the martini, but we've all had that one martini where you take your first sip and you're like, "This has gone too far. This has gone a little bit too far, dilution wise." And you're just like, "It didn't punch me in the face," and then therefore, this is not the martini I was looking sure. for. <laughs> sure, absolutely. There's a time and a place, you know. Yeah. So I, I think actually my bad, we should have said this from the top, but the way that we are diluting cocktails is either stirring or shaking with ice. Obviously, mostly we're thinking about um, the main reason to do that would be to chill drinks, but the dilution is equally as important. Sure. I mean, and there's, there's, alternate, um, there's alternate methods out there. We've done some stuff with you know, um, coconut water, which is a, a technique I learned at the Nomad, but we still do at Shezu, um, where you can use things besides water to lower the ABV of your cocktail. Um, there's obviously like rock and rolling, there's batching, there's freezer cocktails. There's, there's a lot of ways to add dilution um, beyond just shaking and stirring. And, you know, shaking and stirring also serve other purposes beyond, you know, chilling, mixing, um, and shaking your aerating, which adds a lot of texture. But mm -hmm. um, dilution is definitely at the core of all of these techniques. Wonderful. Yeah, I mean, those are the shaking and stirring are the um, most popular techniques, I guess, for mixing cocktails. I mean, obviously, there's other things out there. Um, you know, shaking adds aeration, where stirring doesn't really. They both mix drinks. Um, but, you know, dilution is at the core of a lot of these techniques that you're, you know, taking a cocktail from, you know, order to presenting it to the guest. Like, almost all of these involve some form of dilution, with, mm -hmm. with some exceptions, of course. But And when you were mentioning dilution using other ingredients there say for example coconut water so mm -hmm. is that a case where you would like freeze these ingredients as like an ice block so that would also be like something that can chill the drink as well is that what you're talking about there or something different sort of i mean i've i've played with the idea you know making like juice cubes and shaking with those but sometimes those cocktails just come out overly sweet or rich 
Um, and you really still need that, that dilution to make it, you know, more familiar, I guess. Um, but the coconut water technique is, you know, you keep your ingredients chilled. So everything's cold as can be not frozen necessarily, but really, really cold. Um, and then you just build it in the glass to order. And rather than stirring over ice to add that water to the cocktail, um, you just add chilled coconut water Mm -hmm. to the cocktail. And what that does is, you know, coconut water doesn't have a very strong flavor. It doesn't have a very high sugar content. Um, but it does have a lot of texture. Mm-hmm. So you can add dilution to your cocktail. You can basically lower your ABV of your cocktail without sacrificing the body, the, the mouthfeel, um, and you can end up with something that is rich and, and delicious and cold and lower ABV, um, but not watered down, mm-hmm. quote unquote. It's funny you say that, and, and the point I was uh, alluding to earlier there, because I did go through this phase during the pandemic where I was drinking a lot of cocktails. I think maybe all of us were at home at least. Mm-hmm. And my kind of chef side came out. So I was doing a lot of mise en place. So I was like, I'm getting fed up of juicing citrus fresh every time and measuring. So I'm like, you know what? I bought a batch of limes, squeezed it, froze it in one ounce cubes or like half ounce cubes or whatever. And then if I was making a daiquiri or something, <laughs> I would not include ice. I would just shake the other ingredients with that. Mm-hmm to chill it down and then serve when it was diluted. Now I will say this, I think this leads into our next point here because those were not the best daiquiris I've ever had. <laughs> so what happens when you don't dilute enough? Because obviously that daiquiri would normally have the lime juice and the ice, I was right. replacing that. So what does happen to a drink when it's not, maybe you've got it to the right temperature, mm-hmm. but you haven't diluted it enough because maybe the ingredients were all cold beforehand and you just gave it a super fast shake. Like, what's that cocktail going to taste like or feel like? Well, this, I mean, that example with the daiquiris, this this is what I'm about to say, won't make any sense, but um, temperature and dilution are tied together. You can't do, you can't make something colder without further diluting it if you're using traditional stirring and shaking methods. So if I were to take... Um, let's say like crushed ice and put it in one cocktail and then take um, cold draft like large cubes and put it in the same cocktail like a different glass of the same cocktail and stir them with a thermometer to the same temperature um, they would be at the same dilution so if I were to pour out the crushed ice cocktail um, it would probably t- it would take a lot less time because there's a lot more surface area um, it would take you know five seconds you'd get mm-hmm. it to the right temperature you pour it out measure the volume and then I stirred the cold draft cocktail which would take a bit longer, um, and poured it out, you'd find they'd be at the same temperature and same dilution. Really? Yes, because ice is not changing temperature. Mm -hmm. The water, as it's released from the cube and becoming liquid, which is kind of adhered to the edge of the ice, that's being added to the cocktail at the same temperature, which is the melting point of ice. So you're adding the same temperature water to your cocktail as you're stirring or shaking constantly, um, and you're just trying to get it to equilibrium within the system. This is blowing my mind right here. You know what it's making me think of immediately? Hmm. Where it's like someone said, if you go to the top of a building, say somewhere here in the Nomad, in, in, you know, in Manhattan, and you drop a ton of bricks and a ton of feathers, <laughs> exactly it. they would land on the floor at the same time. You're like, no, how can that be? The, fle- the feathers are going to fly up yeah. or the surface area. Yeah, it's it's uh, it blew my mind first. I learned that from Dave Arnold like years ago. But it's a uh, um, it's a crazy thing, and, and bartenders obsess over ice, and and as they should, we should. Mm-hmm. It's a you know it's a very important ingredient. It has a lot of uses and can do a lot of things. 
Um, the reason that you don't want to stir with crushed ice is because it dilutes so fast. You, you lose your ability to control and um, make sure it's at the right dilution. Stop it before it gets mm -hmm. too cold or too watered down. So we choose those ice cubes that are you know bigger because we can take our time and make sure you mm -hmm. know we're hitting that moment. Um, but even even those cubes, if I'm in a position where I need to make a lot of martinis really quickly, I will break my cubes up, like smack them, get them cracked. It'll speed up the process a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. this, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was about to jump back in there with that. So yeah. right, I've seen bartenders make martinis probably using like good ice or you know I'm not talking about like big blocks, but like good, maybe cold draft, mm -hmm. cracking them beforehand. I think I first came across that with um, Dave Wondrich. I don't mm -hmm. know whether you saw in the pandemic as well. He was on Twitter every day and he was <laughs> doing a photo, like make along of cocktails. And he was like, and of course, before we do anything, we're going to crush our, we're going to crack our, crack our ice with a bar spoon. Mm -hmm. Again, when I've been at home, I've always worried about that for my martini because I'm like, is there a risk of over diluting? Because you're going to get some small chips here or mm -hmm. whatever, but so what is the reason you would do that at bar? It's purely for, for speed, but also you have more control there than the than the fully crushed ice. Yeah, I mean, I, I cracked, you know, I worked in high volume situations and I was cracking cubes because I needed to get that martini out seconds faster. You know, that makes a difference when you're 10 tickets deep and four people at the bar. Um, but it's not, absolutely, it's not absolutely necessary. You can stir with one large cube forever and ever. It'll take, you know, minutes. Mm -hmm. um, and eventually get it to the same temperature and dilution you could with the crack cubes. Um, th there's another thing at play here, though. The equilibrium that I'm talking about that you want to hit, right, the temperature that it'll eventually get to, is not just set by the temperature of the starting ingredients, like the, the cocktail and the ice. The ice is the same temperature, always, mm -hmm. pretty much. Um, the ingredients can change. Like, obviously, you don't want them hot, but, you know, they'll be at room temp. Mm -hmm. um, the, the mixing glass or whatever vessel you're mixing in is also part of that system. So um, another thing that's important to kind of control that system is to make sure that that vessel is at least consistent in temperature. Mm -hmm. So if you're, you know, um, if you decide to be one of those bartenders that chills your mixing glass in between each round, you have to do it every round mm -hmm. or else you're going to have different cocktails coming out. Mm -hmm. um, if you're mixing in a mixing glass and the cocktail is only, you know, halfway up the glass and the the ice needs to actually be all the way up, even if it's not touching the liquid, because you're not just chilling the liquid, you're chilling the whole mm -hmm. glass. So when you're, when you're talking about that crushed versus cubed there, we're talking about all of our vari all of our other variables are the same, yes, right? Yes, yes. Because otherwise I was thinking like, if I pull a bottle of gin for my martini from the freezer mm -hmm. and then I start stirring over ice, of course the cocktail is gonna come down to the desired temperature much faster, mm -hmm. but it won't have the requisite dilution because it hasn't spent enough time in contact with correct. the ice. Yeah, correct. I mean, and um, there's another factor here that kind of relates to that is wet ice versus dry ice. So if you take an ice cube straight out of the freezer, you'll notice it's, you know, kind of a matte finish. There's not a lot of shine to it. You know, it's not mm -hmm. tempered. Um, and if you're, you know, in the middle of a, a big service, all your ice is going to be, you know, wet. It's going to you'll be able to put it in a tin and fling water off of it because all of that melted water is adhered to the side of the ice. So um, another thing to think about is if you're pouring spirits over wet ice, you're adding a ton of dilution immediately. You're already. adding like already like something like 10 percent of your final dilution just by touching it with the mm -hmm. ice. Um, so if you're starting with a really dry cube, again, it's going to take longer. You might have a different ratio. Mm -hmm. But all things considered. Um, 
the same type of ice in different sizes will get you to the same temperature and dilution. Mm -hmm. And so just to recap before we move on to the next point there, if a drink is not sufficiently diluted, say I'm talking about that martini there, gin comes from the mm -hmm. freezer, the... The, the the profile of that cocktail is going to be what it's going to be tight. It hasn't it's going to be it hasn't released. It hasn't relaxed. It hasn't had time to I I don't know like fully release all of its. Yeah, um, it's it, there's a preference thing there too. Obviously, I know there are some very famous storied bars that have been around for a long time that um, definitely go all in for dilution. They want their drinks to be palatable to a range of people, and then there are bars that really under dilute their drinks, and that's their style. And they, mm -hmm. you, you go there, you're gonna you know really going to taste it. You're really going to mm -hmm. feel that burn a little bit. And, you know, I think there's a bit of preference there. I prefer um, on my end to be, you know, a little over maybe, um, because like you said, I think it releases a bit more flavor. It makes it just a little more enjoyable. I like to sip my cocktails mm -hmm. for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think you miss out on some of the um, nuances that you might be distracted from because you're tasting the alcohol too much. Yeah, it's like very concentrated on the palate, right? Yes, like exactly. Almost... I mean, probably is in this kit. Well, it certainly is, but it's like drinking a higher ABV version of the of the spirit or the, the right. cocktail. Right. Reminds me, we had um, Sebastian Hamilton Mudge on the show a, a while back now, formerly of Plymouth Gin, and he was talking about this exact thing where it came to like finding the sweet spot. And he said he judged cocktail competitions in the past where like the bartender had gotten to a very very cold temperature with not much dilution, again, probably because of temperature of ingredients. And he's like, they'd found the sweet spot with the ingredients and the balance of the cocktail, the ratios. But he was like, it was just, yeah, it was just so tight. And, mm -hmm. and he felt like that cocktail needed more dilution. Yeah. That's, to me, that's always the hardest part of competitions mm -hmm. is the, the moment where you're actually like preparing the drink and you're, you're nervous and time feels like it's moving really slow. So you're like <laughs> stirring for a long time or like, have I stirred it too much? Like, it's always a difficult feeling. So this is a it, this is a good natural segue into our next point here, which is um, what are the different ways that we can control this technique? We can control dilution. You know, what are some some methods out there? We've maybe spoken about some with temperature of ingredients, but what are the what are the different things you're thinking about? Um, yeah, I mean, it, like I said, it's it's in my bar. It's about making sure everyone understands those factors that change things right so wet ice versus dry ice the you know the size of the ice um, the temperature of the vessel the temperature of your starting ingredients um, you know something that's really it's been around for a long time but it's become a lot more popular I'd say in the last 10 years was batching you know batching used to be you know the few people that needed to do it did it and everyone else kind of stayed away now it seems pretty ubiquitous like bars all over the city are doing it um, but batching is a really helpful tool to ensure consistency and even with, you know, fruit, the freezer cocktails, the freezer martinis, um, you can control dilution, you know, mm -hmm. down to the mill, milliliter if you want to. Um, so, you know, the level of control you have is based on your understanding of the drink at the time of preparation, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, the biggest ways that I control dilution is, um, you know, um, I'm not like stirring with a thermometer. I don't feel like I need to do that. There's, you know, the skill of bartending is about being able to know uh, when things are done. Um, mm -hmm. It looks like magic, but again, if you have that understanding that the dilution and temperature are going to be good, um, the best way to control it is to taste it. So take a straw taste a couple times throughout stirring your martini, mm -hmm. and it gets right to that consistently good point, pour it out, you're good. Mm -hmm. And 
before we move on, because that, that, that's another good connector there. But before we move on, you speaking about that immediately made me think about how this is similar to cooking a steak, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You can prod that thing with a thermometer mm-hmm. and you're going to release some juice, but uh, you can do that to find out have you reached the perfect temperature inside. Or as a chef, you're going to get so used to cooking it that by visuals, by touching, there's going to be a number of different indicators that tell you that steak is at the cuisson you want. And also relating to the other points we spoke about, there is no such thing as like, how much time does it take to cook a steak medium rare, right? Like it's going to be how tough is the meat? How old was the cow? Has it been aged? Um, what temp are you pulling it out of the fridge? Has it been resting beforehand at room temperature? So mm-hmm. I didn't think our conversation was going to take us there today. Yeah. I mean, and I see bartenders do all sorts of kooky things. Like, you know, they have a big, you know, crystal mixing glass and they're stirring and they're feeling the outside of the glass to test, you know, whether the drink inside is the right temperature. But it's like the outside of the glass is probably not an indication of the correct dilution <laughs> in the glass. I mean, I, I, I understand the thought like, if, oh, it's, it's cold. It must be good. But. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a steak, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's a drink. <laughs> um, there's other things to consider too. Like, are, how are you serving it? Are you going to pour it from this ice onto a new block of ice or new cubes? Because, you know, like I said, there's already water ready to be released from those cubes. It's already kind of clinging to the edge of those cubes through, um, surface tension and, and whatnot adhesion. So once you pour into a new glass, it's actually going to get more diluted immediately like and again another 10 percent possibly depending on the temperature mm-hmm. um yeah so you have to factor that in if you're stirring an old fashioned you're not going to stir it as much as maybe a manhattan up because you know you're going to add even more dilution once you pour it over ice mm-hmm. i love it i love this idea of um basically all of these things you become familiar with over time and repetition and that's that's why it takes so much time to become a fantastic bartender mm-hmm. But we're highlighting them today where we're talking about the things that matter and the things that you're thinking about, the pros are thinking about. Um, what are some other cues there beyond tasting with a straw that that might tell you you've reached the right dilution? Um, one of the great martinis, I think, in, in New York is the one at Maison Premiere, the, mm-hmm. the old, old King Cole, is that correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. First time I had that. They were making it and they said that, and, and that is a martini where they pull the gin straight from the fridge, mm-hmm. uh, freezer, sorry. And and they were stirring it and they were saying it's as much of a of a visual thing almost. Is that, you know, maybe viscosity. Is that something you're thinking about too or is that just unique to them because they do that so often? Um, that may be unique to them if they're like watching the cocktail in the mixing glass and they can just see it go you know that's that's interesting mm-hmm. um i've definitely been able to do things with the the wash line so you know if i'm stirring a cocktail in the glass like i said it doesn't obviously fill the mixing glass but you start to see the ice go down and then you see the water the cocktail level go up mm-hmm. you know at a certain point where the cocktail level is supposed to be at the end mm-hmm. you you know I'm, I'm constantly adding ice to make sure the cold thing is full but um, yeah, visually you can, you can kind of see what wash line you're going for in your mixing glass. Mm-hmm. So I've definitely used that before as well. And I guess with a drink like the Manhattan, maybe you can't tell when it's perfect, but you can tell by visual, by color, if it's gone too far. Oh, definitely. You, I, I hate those anemic <laughs> Manhattans that you get every once in a while. But, um, yeah. yeah, some people, like I said, there's, there's a preference there too. You know, if you can feel out your guest, if this guy is, you know, 
three drinks in, you know, maybe he does need that little anemic Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it depends on uh, where you are in your night to figure out how, how much water you should be adding. That's a great point. Yeah. Reading the room, always very yeah, important. Exactly. You mentioned batching cocktails earlier mm -hmm. and freezer. Um, those are two topics I want to get into related, but also separately. Let's start with batching drinks. Is there a general rule of thumb when it comes to dilution of how much water you're going to be adding to that pre-mixed? Or I, I'm, I'm assuming there are other factors at play too. So can you chat us through that? Yeah. Um, again, it, it depends a lot on how you're serving it. So um, I think the most of batching, you're not really adding water to the batch. You're just kind of creating a, a way so you don't have to pick up eight bottles to make a drink. You pick up three. One of them has, you know, so, you know six ingredients in it. Mm -hmm. um, if you're doing batching for like a to-go cocktail type situation, um, again, if, if you're, you're presenting a cocktail to somebody to drink straight out of a bottle, you probably want to add some dilution. I wouldn't add full dilution because you want them, they're probably going to pour over ice, Again, that thing you're going to add, they're going to add some dilution themselves, mm -hmm. but maybe they're not going to shake it. Maybe they're not going to stir it. Mm -hmm. So if the ideal dilution, a final dilution level is like 30%, 25%, you maybe want to add 15, 20% um, beforehand. Then when you pour it over ice, you'll get that little extra push mm -hmm. over the top. Um, yeah. And, and freezer cocktails are a completely separate thing because. Got it. They're, they're ready to drink the, in the professional scent, in the professional setting. Yeah, if you're going to pull it right out of the freezer and pour it for a guest, um, the thing to think about is the freezing temperature. You know, as you add water, you lower the temperature, or you raise the temperature at which it's going to freeze. You know, you can put a bottle of gin in your freezer, it's never going to freeze. You start diluting it, at a certain point, you're going to get frozen gin, it's not going to be ready to serve. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, at our bar, we do a 25% final dilution. So the way we do it is we have this olive oil infused vodka, and then we take three liters of that and then one liter of water. We pour it in, we put that in the freezer, um, and then when it's ready to serve, we put it in the serving vessel and we add um, some brine, some house yep. grape leaf brine. So then that brine acts also to further dilute the cocktail once they get it. Mm -hmm. um, but initially, it's probably a little too hot to drink right out the freezer, but then you add the brine, brings it right to where you want it to be. Mm -hmm. And that, so that three to one there, that's not freezing at all or not even slightly solidifying? It's getting very close. Getting very close. But that's exactly where you want it. Very right. close. I've encountered this problem before when batching freezer martinis at home. And I've gone for that 25% dilution. And I drink my martinis exceedingly dry for mm -hmm. the most part. Sure. Um, and I found that oftentimes I'm pulling out a martini slushy. Mm -hmm. I think that's just to do with home freezers being set to a colder temperature than bar freezers. What would you have your set at there? Because I think that is an important consideration. Well, and also consider our freezers opening far more frequently than your freezer. So even if our it starts extremely cold, and this is why we don't leave them, we don't leave them in there overnight. We do this at the beginning of service. Got it. Um, they have about an hour to get to temp, um, unless nobody is ordering martinis, which does not happen. <laughs> uh, they usually are coming out, you know, before they hit that slushy phase. I think if we were to leave them overnight, they would definitely get there. They would there. definitely hit there. Yeah. And that's also the, the point too, right? Like as much as I love martinis, I'm, I'm, I'm 
trying to save them for Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays only. So mm-hmm. that's that's another thing, right? Like that that's why it's solidifying too. Right. Absolutely. Um, it's a great thing to do for a party. I mean, I've done a lot of you know movie nights or game nights where if you pull out a bottle of almost frozen martini and you can just pour and go, everyone's like, mm-hmm. "Where the heck did this come from? This is amazing." <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So when you're and and again on this topic of freezer cocktails. We're talking about two, one or two versions of a very spirit-forward drink there. Mm-hmm. What if it were something like a daiquiri that's going to have some some dialed-in, non-alcoholic components to it? Is there an easy way to calculate dilution, or is it just trying to think back to like high school, college math? Oh, man. Um I mean, it's it's actually pretty much the same as like a Manhattan. Like a, a daiquiri has, depending on the proof of the rum you put in, daiquiri will, you know, three ounces. Let's say, mm-hmm. um, it'll end up at the same volume after shaking it. It'll fit in the same glass, mm-hmm. you know, so to speak, with the same starting volume. Um, so you're adding, you know, the same hypothetical dilution. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing to be careful with is you don't want to skip the aeration step. You don't right. want to skip the shaking step. Um, so. You know, if you have, if you're keeping your daiquiri in the freezer, um, again, it's going to freeze a lot more readily because there's less alcohol in it. Got it. But you still want to add that additional, you know, one and a half ounces, mm-hmm. and then you also want to make sure you're aerating it. Mm-hmm. So is it more of a case of in the professional setting or maybe even just at home here, like the better candidates for freezer cocktails are those more spirit-forward ones because they're less likely to freeze? Yes, 100%. And the trick is to, you know, do you want it strong and then, you know, have to stir it before you serve it? Or do you want it just to be pour and go, but maybe it won't be able to be as cold because it'll freeze? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I will say this just from an opinion standpoint, when it is at home, I do like making it. I I do Mm -hmm. like having to earn the drink, but also in the professional setting now, I completely see when it comes to labor and so many other considerations that like batching ingredients or actual having freezer cocktails like it's so necessary right now Mm -hmm. and i feel you know the industry is always changing um there's a lot of ready to drink cocktails out there right now a lot of really great you know canned drinks you can get an old-fashioned from a can on a plane you can get mixology drinks at the bodega now it's it's um, it's really cool to see, but it's, and for me personally, it's driven me back towards, I really want to just make it like, I want to stir it. I want to shake it. I want to, mm-hmm. I want to be the one to like prepare the thing for someone else. You know, that's, that's mm-hmm. the hospitality of it. Yeah. And, um, I just, uh, I, I hope the industry doesn't go too far in the completely batched, ready to drink, pour and go section, because I do love seeing a bartender make a drink. There's something relaxing about it there's something cool about it yeah. there's something you know just romantic about it that, 100% uh, um, you know so if, if you have the opportunity to actually make someone a drink I would say do it it's the, mm-hmm. it's a great kind of garnish <laughs> yeah. for the experience and I think it speaks into what you were speaking about earlier with the batching ingredients like yeah you're putting two or three components together but that's just so that you're not having to pick those bottles up so you're just picking one up exactly. in service and then yeah, you preparing. get you get the best of both worlds. You mm-hmm. can be fast. You can still do the thing. You mm-hmm. can still you know make adjustments. Say someone wants tequila instead of mezcal, or whatever. You can still do that. Um, 
but you're still making a drink. Mm-hmm. You're still putting things together. What is it being like? I mean, how often do guests notice, for example, that that freezer martini is, is being pulled out and poured? Like, is there ever a scenario where sometimes people are like, well, wait, you just pulled this from the freezer? Like, I'm keen to hear about your experience there professionally and and how people react to it. Because I'm assuming that most guests are not thinking about all of these things that we're talking about now. Right. Um, well, at Chez Zoo, our freezer martinis, the serve is pretty over the top. It's an experience in itself. We have these things, we call them jaras, which is a Arabic word for like a, a wine vessel essentially. But um, we you know, use these things that have two chambers. Um, it's this beautiful, it looks like an art piece. Um, we put the olive oil vodka in one chamber, and then we put the grape leaf brine in another chamber, and we you know, keep those very, very cold. We serve them in a bowl of crushed ice with house-stuffed olives, and it gets its own glass. It's like a multiple piece. Mm-hmm. You're basically being served like a whole setup. Um, I think that the the wow factor of that has offset anyone's concerns about watching the bartender <laughs> shake and strain a martini. Yeah, and obviously, you know, there's also advantages to shaking and straining. It's, it's okay. There's obviously advantages to shaking and straining a martini. Um, the biggest one is. Um, like the ice chip thing I love if a shake if someone's giving me a dirty martini I want it shaken I want ice chips floating on the top that's part of the experience Um, and we do have guests that you know ask for their martinis that way and we're of course happy to oblige Mm -hmm. but you know the freezer thing I think um, part of it is it has to come with a bit of a some flair a bit of a show yeah and we don't get too many complaints about that no and I and that speaks to the other thing there right like the yeah you're you're doing something to save time and you're making it up for it in a different way or it allows you to do that. You wouldn't be able to do all of it at one time. Yes. Um, I get kind of annoyed. Again, this is a complete sidetrack, but we're, we're on this topic. Sure. I get kind of annoyed by people saying that the martini is back. That's like, <laughs> you know, I have the same feeling about disco music. It right. never went out. Exactly. It never went anywhere. Where'd it go? <laughs> but <laughs> I've been sitting there with a the martini this whole time. <laughs> but I will say this. The fact that certain media outlets or, you know, not even just drinks, the fact that they are saying that, the fact that it does appear to have caught on in a in a bigger manner than maybe it was 10 years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. I love the impact that's having on the New York bar scene mm-hmm. right now because I am seeing some of the most inventive martinis, vodka and gin, by the way, sure. in, the, in the city. I That can only be a good thing. Oh, I agree 100%. 100%. There's there's two drinks in the world that if I see them on the menu, I'm going to order. It's a pina colada. If I see one on a menu, I got to try it. I don't, because you can get a really great one at a really terrible bar. You can get a really bad one at a really famous bar. <laughs> Those, That's the one. And then the second is a martini. Like if they're doing something interesting with a martini, it's, you got to be soft handed with it. You have to be thoughtful with it. Um, you can't add too much. Mm-hmm. It's just very classy, easy to drink usually. It's just fun. I love trying to do different martinis around the city. Absolutely. It's so it's so funny that you mentioned the pina colada there as well, because I was just before we started this recording reading some like consumer insights data. This sounds <laughs> boring, but get ready for it. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the pina colada has seen a surge in popularity at bars and restaurants in the past, in the second quarter of this year. So basically like the end of spring and this summer. Mm-hmm. It's been 
the highest climber in terms of change in cocktail ranking popularity. Again, this makes things sound boring, but I love the, the thought of that because, and I mentioned it on this show before, the Pina Colada song was also my was my song of the pandemic too. So I'm yeah. happy to see it. <laughs> All right. I remember. I listened to that episode. <laughs> oh, that was the Ivy one. That was the Ivy one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not going to take all the credit for the rise of popularity in the Pina Colada. <laughs> we do have, I think, three versions on our menu at Jezu. It's my, I don't, my Instagram handle is a lot of coladas. I taste and review Pina Coladas. I, I was just at Tales of the Cocktail. I was talking to a lot of people about pina coladas. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to go to Puerto Rico this year. Nice. Do some research and maybe put some, write some stuff and like get something together. I don't know. That's I, I love fun. that drink. It's, hey, it's classic. My my idea for this podcast as well is always that no drink. We're not we're not going to do any drink just once. I think every drink deserves oh. you know multiple explorations. So. When you're ready with that research, let's right. come back. I'll come back. We'll do a deep. I mean, Ivy's episode was great. I, mm-hmm. Oh, she was wonderful. Yeah. When you asked me like what drink I wanted to do, that's immediately where I went. And then I listened to her episode. I was like, damn it. She nailed it. <laughs> she nailed it. Um, well, that's great. I, I enjoy the tangents. I, I will say as well that uh, just to put this one out there, the other big climber in that ranking was the mojito. So I think all is alive and well. And sorry, bartenders. Then maybe that's not the one that you love to make, but... <laughs> I love drinking them. Yeah, it's my it's my girlfriend's favorite. <laughs> it's just you two. It's yeah. just because apparently it's the epicenter too. for these two things as well was New York City. So it's just you two. <laughs> we need to go out less. I think we're 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 bumping the needle. When Nielsen CGI starts telling you that uh, you're impacting overall drinks trends, <laughs> maybe you need to to dial it back a little bit. Oh yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> she's gonna be upset, but I'll let her know. Well, we do digress, and. Yes. Um, any final thoughts on dilution there before we move into the final section of the show today? I mean, yeah, I, I, I think it's it's hard to, you know, do without doing. You can't read about this. It's hard. You're not going to learn. You might learn bits and facts and tidbits from listening to us here and, um, you know, books. And like Liquid Intelligence has an amazing chapter on dilution. If you haven't read it, you have to. Um, but it just takes practice and, and kind of feeling it. It really is the skill of a bartender is diluting, aerating, and, and mixing. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the skill. So uh, practice it, do it at home, make drinks from scratch, play with your freezer, get cool ice, mm-hmm. um, and just do it. That's that's how you learn how to dilute. I love it, that, that, that idea of this being like the, ultimately maybe the most important test of mm-hmm. a bartender in a way, because right, like, Balance or comes down to ratios, which comes down to like ideally having a jigger that's correct and jiggering. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's left to do? It's the it's the technique and it's the dilution. I mean, otherwise it's also time, but maybe sure. you know, like that's that's a serve that doesn't impact the drink per se. So. Sure, sure. Dilution. All right, I care about it now. <laughs> I'm not skeptical anymore. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. I, you know, you've had. Uh, Shram on this show several times. He's talking about centrifuges and bricks adjusting and all of that. I'm like, you skip the, they skip the basic one. Skip the basics. Skip the yeah. Basic one, I feel like that guy just probably, yeah, he was born with like a rotovap or something. Like yeah. just thinking about that we, kind of we stuff. We used to live together for a long time. You should really? have seen our apartment. It was a lot more kitchen technology than <laughs> than apartment. I'll say that's that's funny as well because I was thinking there too. Like, yeah, not only both former, you know. Nomad grads here, also Dave Arnold as well. Yeah, right. we. So I moved to New York 2015, 
within three days I had gotten hired at Booker and Dax where mm -hmm. Jack was the head bartender. So spent a lot of time with those crazy guys. So basically like Dave Arnold is the unofficial godfather of the cocktail college technique segment here. Yes, yes he is. <laughs> 100% and other technique segments I'm sure. I'm sure, yeah. I mean, yeah. He has his own wonderful ones out there as well. He, he does, does a couple of stuff on there multimedia wise. Check it out. <laughs> yeah, he's a genius. Alright, Joey. Actually, speaking of tales, uh, I arrived at the airport on Wednesday, mm -hmm. walked uh, you know, at arrivals and Dave was walking in departures and I saw him and like, we don't know each other very well or anything, but like he, he knows my colleague more well and just sort of caught his eye and he kind of looked down and I'm like, yep, that looks like someone who's leaving tails. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, it was like, and I turned to my colleague and I said, that's going to be us in three days. And it was sure so. enough. <laughs> sure enough. enough. That's great. All right, then. Let's dive into the final section of the show, the quick hit questions, so we can get to know you more as a bartender and as a drinker, a oh pina boy. colada fan. Yeah. Question number one. Mm -hmm. What style or category of spirit typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar? Ooh, uh, well, I told you at the beginning that I've gotten all these narrowed down to at least two answers. <laughs> um, but uh, for the bar, for Shezu, it's rum, for sure. It's the most versatile you know, for cocktails, there's a lot of different styles of rum. You can blend and make your own styles. And, and um, you know, other spirits just don't enjoy that same amount of versatility, I would think. Um, at home, it's a very close tie between whiskey and, and mezcal. Because I get them and they're so unique. And then I'm afraid to drink them. Because yep. I know once that bottle's gone, I might not get it again. Mm -hmm. um, so it ends up just multiplying and taking over the... The whole shelf and which whiskey which which part of the world might you be exploring when you're or are you democratic there when it comes to that very democratic there mm -hmm. i have I have all kinds uh, i'd say the scotch sticks around longer because i feel like it's even harder to get the mm -hmm. bourbon goes pretty fast because i'm like i'll just get it next mm -hmm. release but i have some some old and rare scotches that i only break out when i've got special you know special occasion vibes going on or um i've already had a couple bourbons <laughs> <laughs> i love that sometimes it does take a little bit of liquor to build up the courage to crack open the good bottles exactly. but it's always to, don't have too much beforehand otherwise sure. it's yeah well i've never in the thing i always forget i've never regretted opening the bottle so Um, yeah, the thing is, I've never regretted opening the bottle the next day. It's just before you open it, that anticipation. It's like opening a new toy, you know, you're yeah. ready to go for it. I tell you one thing I like to do whenever anything arrives or I buy something new, I rip the Band-Aid. And mm -hmm. I say, you know what? Because it's just you got to do that straight away. And you're like, I'm going to drink this. Even if it's half an ounce, I'm going to drink it. It's going to be open and then I'm going to feel good about it. That's exactly right. That's what you got to do. I got to be better at that. <laughs> Otherwise, you know then stuff ends up on the secondary market, and no one wants that. Nobody wants that. Not that I'm saying no. you're guilty of that. No, definitely not. I smash the bottles, too. <laughs> <laughs> Good, yes. Question number two. Which ingredient or tool is the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? Ooh, well, in the spirit of the episode, I got to say water, the ice. I've had so many home cocktails ruined because the ice sat in the freezer too long and just took on that smell that like old refrigerator smell yeah um that is you know and i, I don't think it's necessarily under underappreciated i think most experienced bartenders know that um but again i'll shout out dave arnold there's this piece of technology the booker and dax cube which is very simple little silicon cube that kind of mimics the density and weight of an ice cube of the same size 
Um, so if you're at an event that has terrible ice, or even if you're at home and you don't have like large ice cubes, you throw this in your shaker with some like crappy ice, you shake it and you get that aeration while still getting the chilling and dilution. Um, and it makes beautiful shaken cocktails. Um, they are unavailable currently on Amazon. I've been texting Dave, like, when are these coming back? I want to buy 50 of them. Um, but it is an amazing piece of technology that I just wish were more populous throughout the, the bartender's arsenal. That's crazy. Yeah. Maybe niche use case scenario, but vital when you're using it. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's not gimmicky, it's not flashy, but it really works. It does the job. That guy, his mind. I know. <laughs> I know. Question number three. What's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry? Um, there's a lot. Um, the one that's stuck with me the most, and this may be simplistic, but um, a mentor of mine, Pietro, who was a bar director at the Nomad, um, one, I don't even know if he thought of this, this would be as profound as it was when he said it, but he said uh, at the end of the night, you know, you know, you guys do a good job, just be professional and have fun. And it really just stuck with me that those are the only two things that you really need to focus on. You know, be professional, take your craft seriously, um, take the job seriously, do it the best you can, but have fun. You can't forget that this is, a, that people are there to have fun. Yeah. People are there to see you have fun. Um, so if one of those things is getting in the way of the other thing, then you need to rebalance your situation behind the bar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you're having too much fun. Yep, you're not being professional. If you're mm -hmm. being too professional and you're not, you're not having, having fun, you're failing. So you got to do both. Nice, that balance there, like the dilution. Mm -hmm. Keeps coming back <laughs> to the like top. Just like the dilution, exactly. <laughs> Bringing it back. <laughs> Penultimate question here. Mm -hmm. If you could only visit one last bar in your life, past or present, Oof. what would it be? I was afraid you were going to throw that one in that. there. Yeah. Um, uh, so if it was present, it would be Maison Premier. I love that bar. I love when it's a little too hot in there. Yeah. You, you're kind of crammed into the seats a little bit, but you get that martini, that old King Cole martini, mm -hmm. and a big thing of oysters. You maybe have just seen a movie at the theater nearby or had dinner somewhere. Like, I love that uh, experience. So that's probably my number one answer. Past, I mean, I'll throw Nomad in there. I do miss it dearly. And um, Suffolk Arms, which was Giuseppe Gonzalez's bar down on Suffolk, that was a great pina colada great original cocktails just a good vibe all around i loved that part mm -hmm. glad you mentioned maison there i mean all three wonderful bars there mm -hmm. glad you mentioned maison because i i always talk about the martini there but the the sazerac table side service mm -hmm. that they have too is wonderful so i would check that out i um i lost a bet with a writer friend of mine fellow writer for vine pair aaron goldfarb and I had to uh, buy him the $86, I think it's 86 Sazerac, mm -hmm. which is made with like pre-World War II cognac and sure. all kinds of stuff. He was gracious enough to let me taste it, but um, it's out there. If you want to have a mind-blowing cocktail, move on to that one after the martini. Absolutely. <laughs> break the piggy bank. We'll yeah. go over there. <laughs> exactly. Let's go. Final question for you today. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you make or order? Pina colada. I think that's obvious. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you want to give us your spec? Do you, or, or should we save that for the? We'll save it. We'll save that for the recolada. Yes, exactly. The reckoning. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the one. I, I'll, I'll also say a martini though. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing. Um, 
after a long day of whatever it is and you finally get to sit down with a friend or your significant other whoever mm -hmm. and you get that first sip of cold martini there's mm -hmm. few more enjoyable experiences in the cocktail world mm -hmm. i would say than that so that's that's definitely up there neck and neck mm -hmm. if i can add part b onto this question for you then sure if i'm if i'm allowing you a round of those two drinks mm -hmm. but i'm going to say one of them is going to be a miniature kind of snackery vibe mm -hmm. which one are you going for that, and which one are you going for the full size? I'm actually very glad you brought that up. That's crazy. Uh, the pina colada should be smaller. Okay. I do love a whole one, of course, mm -hmm. but um, I we we recently got these, you know, three ounce, not even three, maybe three ounce little coupettes, these tiny little martini glasses, and we've been serving pina coladas in them as like a greet for you know our friends and stuff at the bar. Um, we call them teeny peenies. Teeny peenies. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's a nice, it's a great little amuse-bouche. It starts the, like, fun kind of experience and the little atmosphere. Like, so that would be the, the move, and then you move into your martini and oysters mm -hmm. uh, after that. Wonderful. I mean, what more could set off the mood than that fun cocktail there? Maybe you got the song going on in your head. You're thinking about cheating on a partner and drinking champagne, <laughs> dancing yeah. in the rain. Getting lost in the rain. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, getting lost, yeah. Well... Joey, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. It's been a hoot. Uh, I've been drinking water this whole time as well. I feel like that's apt. I'm just looking at my water glass <laughs> here. No, thank you for joining us here. Yet another Arnold Allen on the on the technique section here at Vinepair uh, Cocktail College. It's been a blast. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This has been this has been great. Cheers. Cheers. Okay, that was a lot of info, but here's the good news. Every single episode of Vinepair's Cocktail College is also published on vinepair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. Also, if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe, and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher, and please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded and produced in New York City by myself and Keith Beavers, Vinepair's tastings director and all-round podcast guru. Of course, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the Vinepair team. Too many awesome people to mention. They know who they are. But I want to give some credit here to Danielle Grinberg, art director at Vinepair, for designing the awesome show logo. And listen to that music. That's a Darby Seaside original. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time. <laughs>